Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Now last week we had Ellen Stanley speak to us from New Zealand via Zoom. And we have the privilege of him, uh, of having him speak to us again uh, this morning. Uh, he was uh, previously lecturing at uh, the Bible School of Theology over at Tuong before moving back to New Zealand uh, with his wife and three boys. Uh, he was my mentor for a couple of years when he was here, and I deeply enjoyed uh, the sessions uh, that we had together. The topic uh, I've asked him to speak on last week and this week is uh, on providential relationships. If we can put the slide up. What is providential relationships? Let me read a quote by uh, Andy Stanley, who is not related to Alan Stanley, by the way. Okay. He writes, at every critical juncture in our faith journeys, there are individuals whose paths intersect with ours. In some cases, long-term relationships are formed. On other occasions, the relationships are only for a short time. But in either case, there is no doubt in our minds that the encounters were providential. Two things make a relationship providential. When we hear God through someone and when we see God in someone. I think we agree with that. The people that God has placed in our lives. Uh, I think of our son. Uh, a providential relationship was his hairdresser. He was cutting his hair for just 10 to 15 minutes. And God used her to speak to him profoundly. And so Alan will continue uh, this morning uh, with uh, the two-part series uh, on providential relationships. So today is the second part. All right, Alan, you can take it from here, brother. I um, <laughs> it's always a little bit uh, nerve-wracking when um, you're on the other side of the screen. You can't really see anything, so just um, trusting that everything's going okay. Um, this is the second part of uh, Providential Relationships, uh, part two, and I want to do a little, I want to do something different um, than I did, not really different like, than I did last week, but just a different approach, I guess. And I want to about, speak about something that I think um, is key to all relationships, um, and I want to convince you of that as well, uh, but that is listening. And so, um, this is going to be applicable to absolutely everybody, even if you happen to have no friends whatsoever and just live on an island somewhere. Um, well, actually, um, then you wouldn't have anyone to listen to, I guess. Some time ago, when my wife and I lived back in Dallas, this was, uh, we're going back over 20 years ago now, I remember passing a friend uh, and he was approaching me and I was approaching him and I said to him, as you do, how are you doing? And he said to me, not good. And immediately, without even thinking about it, I said, that's great. And then it suddenly occurred to me, it's one of those moments where you just want to dig a hole in the earth and bury yourself. And it suddenly occurred to me, what I had done. I hadn't even heard him. I hadn't listened. According to a survey, 96% of people think that they are great listeners. 
And yet the research shows that people only retain about half of what others say to us. And that's directly after they say it. So 96% of us think that we're great listeners. The research shows that half of us only that we are, that all of us only retain about half of what we hear, and that's immediately after they speak, they speak to us. Evidently, women are significantly better listeners than men. There's probably no surprise there, uh, but still the research shows that 96% of us are mistaken in how good a listeners we think we are. That nearly 100% of us are mistaken about our ability to listen is a problem. And, and, and by the way, I'm, I have got all fingers in my direction, believe me when I say this. Um, because listening, the reason it's a problem is because listening is simply the tip of the iceberg, which is why James, which is what we're looking, what the passage we're going to look at today, James begins the last section of his chapter, first chapter, chapter one, with these words in James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. There's a five-year research study done over in America from between 2007 to 2011 that revealed six common reasons why teenagers and young adults leave church. No single reason atop the list, but these were some of the things that came through. The church feels unfriendly to those who doubt. Um, they do not feel safe admitting that sometimes Christianity does not make sense. In addition, many feel that the church's response to doubt is trivial. Some of the perceptions in this regard include not being able to ask my most pressing life questions in church and having significant intellectual doubts about my faith. A more recent study, so more recent than the one I just quoted, more recent one was done in the Catholic Church and revealed very similar findings, suggesting that the church needs to create a place where young people can freely wrestle with their questions of faith, including their doubt, without fear and judgment. Now, the reason I mention all of this, this might not seem to have very much to do with providential relationships, but the reason I suggest all of this research is this suggests that Christians, because all of this research is about the church, this research suggests that Christians are not great listeners. That we, now, let's just think about it for a moment. Imagine if someone came to you, perhaps your child, perhaps someone in the church, perhaps one of your friends. And they said that they were having doubts about God. It might not be about God, it might be something else, but something that basically pushes your button. Would your first response be to listen and really hear where they are coming from, really hear their doubts, really hear what's in their heart? Or would your first response be, I'm going to give you a multiple choice here, would your first response be to listen, but think about your response while listening? Or B, to listen, but give your advice once they've stopped listening? Or C, 
listen but with a judgmental mindset or d just start talking get angry and perhaps the closest you are the closer you are to the person that is talking to you perhaps the more angry you might get because perhaps the more what they're saying pushes your button in other words we all need to become better listeners and the research supports that I think we'd probably find the same is true outside the church as inside the church. Over in chapter 3 in the book of James, James addresses the tongue. And he begins by saying, we're just going to pop over here for a moment and then we'll come back to chapter 1, but he begins by saying that the ability to control our speech is a barometer on how we're going as a whole. He says in chapter 3, verse 2, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. In other words, he's saying if you've got control of your tongue, you've got control of your whole body. And since listening is the flip side of speaking, the same can obviously be said for our listening. How well we listen indicates something about us as a whole. Think about that for a moment. How good a listener you are says something about you in the rest of your, in the other areas of your life. Show me a good listener and I'll show you someone who has control over other areas in their life. Show me a poor listener and I'll show you someone who has a lack of control over other areas of your life. This is what, this is what James is saying. I was teaching a uh, teaching in a church recently um, last year or so. It wasn't actually a church service. It was a teaching session on a Sunday night um, in another part of the Bible from James. And I asked the group of people there this question: What would it make? What What would make you feel loved? If If you're thinking, I was thinking about relationships, and I was saying, What would make you feel loved? Thinking about the church, thinking about relationships. And one lady said, For people to listen to me, to give me their undivided attention, to show me that they're interested in me to care about what I have to say. Interesting thing here is that I asked a question about love and I got an answer about listening. Because you see, when James is talking about listening here, he's not talking about just being silent and listening to the other person speak. He's talking about real listening, getting to the heart of the person, Wanting to know what's at the heart of this person. Wanting to know what's behind the words. Wanting to explore. Wanting to go deeper. There's a real interest. That's what this lady was expressing. Not just someone who will, oh, just listen to me speak until I finish and then they talk. But someone who will show an actual interest in me. And the reason that she said that that would express love to her is because listening Real listening is a selfless act. We sacrifice what we might like to say to listen to another. We put our opinions, our comments, our thoughts on hold. And we demonstrate, in doing that, we demonstrate to the other person that what you have to say and what you, who you are are important. 
We're interested in them. We care. Listening is an act of love. And the ability to listen says a lot about us as a person. Do you know someone who really who listens really well? I'll give you I'll give you five or ten seconds to think about that. I want you to think of someone in your life who really listens to you, who really listens well. You got that person in mind? That person who not only hears what you say, but they seem to be interested. They want to know more. They care. And you can tell they care because of how they respond to you. For some reason, they give you their undivided attention. They inquire. They reflect your emotions back to you. Do you know anyone like that? And here's the thing that really gets me. Don't you love to be around that kind of person? Don't you find that person attractive? When you think of them, I mean, I can think of a couple of people in my life who I know as soon as I start talking, especially if I've got something to bear, get, got something to get off my chest or something, I know that I'm not going to be able to get through it because they're going to interrupt. But I'm talking about people who you know they'll listen, you know they care, you know they're there for you, they know, you just know you're getting their undivided attention. And aren't those people attractive? Don't you want, don't you love those people in your life? Don't you, when you think of your relationships, I guarantee that they are the people that you connect with. And the reason you do, because they connect with you. They are a good listener. And here's the question, I guess. Here's the question that, that comes to me, that suddenly occurred to me a few years ago when I was thinking about this. Don't you want to be that kind of person to others? If those kinds of people are attractive in, to you, don't you want to be that kind of person to others? Don't you want to be that, like the person that when people think of attractive people in their life, they think, Mark or whoever it may be, they are the people in my life who really connect with me. And they might not even realize why, but probably the reason is, is because they listen. So why is it so difficult to listen? Well, a guy by the name of Travis Bradbury has written an article in the Huffington, Huffington Post in America. He says, while we're thinking... Well, sorry, we're thinking while the other person is talking. There, there, there it is in a nutshell. That's why it's so difficult to listen. We're thinking while the other person is talking. We're so focused, he says, on what we're going to say next or how what the other person is saying is going to affect us down the road that we fail to hear what's really being said. The words come through loud and clear, but the meaning is lost. So how do we become better listeners? Well, according to Dr. Bradbury, we must turn off the inner voice if we want to connect deeply with people. So what that means, if you forget what you were going to say or if the conversation moves in a different direction before you have a chance to make your point, then so be it. If your real goal, he says, is to connect with a person, 
you have to shut off your own soundtrack long enough to focus on what they're telling you. So the difference between a good listener and a poor listener is not whether we can turn our mouth off. Listening, hope you understand by now, is more than simply sitting there and being quiet. Um, here's some um, a confession for you, and, and maybe some of you might be, relate, be able to relate to this, but my wife Kathleen will tell me sometimes, you're not listening. And then I will say, I was listening, and I'll repeat everything back to her word for word. Terrific memory. And then it's almost it's almost like I'm, I don't do this, but it's almost like what I'm doing in that moment is going, aha, gotcha. You thought I wasn't listening, but I was. I could repeat everything back word for word. But that's not what she's meaning. She's not looking for me to be able to remember what she says or repeat back what she says. She's looking for connection. She's looking for indication that I care about what she's saying. She's looking for an indication that what she's saying means something to me and therefore that she means something to me. So what is it that causes this inner voice? What is it that causes it? Because that's what we really want to get to. You will all have good opportunities to um, practice listening after, um, which so the whole place might be quiet, but you'll all have good opportunities to practice, put this into practice as soon as the uh, church service finishes. But the route that we really need to get to is what is it that causes this inner voice? And it's one word, really. It's selfish. I'm not being critical or judgmental, just stating a fact here that we are selfish people. We come into this world selfish. We, um, we don't need to be taught it. We don't need to learn it. We, we are the most important people in our universes. Uh, we go through the week and we think about no one else more than ourselves. Uh, we're at the heart of ourselves. Genesis 3 makes this point quite clearly. This is where selfishness begins. If you wish to turn there, you can. Uh, but otherwise, I'm just going to uh, make a point from Genesis 3, rather a simple point. It kind of relates to what Mark was saying before the sermon, actually. In... Um, in Genesis 3, this is where you could say that Adam and Eve are the first human beings representative of humanity, of everyone to come. They are selfless. They are good listeners. They are sacrificial. They are loving. Their um, minds and hearts are drawn to God. And in chapter 3, that all gets turned upside down. And it gets turned upside down. Um, and here's the point where it gets turned upside down in verse 6. The serpent is enticing Eve and Adam with some fruit. And we get a description here of what's going on in Eve's mind and heart. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. This is where our selfishness begins. We see, we think, we decide what is good for us, and then we go after that. We, I mean, it's just the natural way of living. Nobody says, well, that's not good for me. I'll take that. Or, well, this is, this is not going to be good for me. Then I'll go after that. Uh, we all make our decisions based on what we have determined 
what is good for us. One writer, commentator on Genesis 3 says this, human beings will now live with the attitude that says, I know what I need to be happy. This is what that verse is basically saying. I know what I need to be happy. I've decided what's good for me. And in the grand scheme of scripture and the storyline of scripture, this is where idolatry starts, as Mark was talking about before. This is where this, it's this kind of thing that takes up our inner talk. It takes up our attention. It takes up our mind space. It takes up our daydreaming space. It's this kind of thing that prevents us from being able to listen. Let me give you an example. I actually, I think I probably said this. I think I remember saying this to you in a sermon a few years ago while I was there. You might not, you probably don't remember. If there's some students there, they'll remember this. Um, so kind of a favorite illustration of mine, just because it has so many different applications and it makes sense to use it here for listening. So this is a number of years ago. Um, we were living in Brisbane and I was teaching at Brisbane School of Theology and I was home for the day working at my computer. And my son, who was 12 at the time, um, came up to me, Jackson is his name, and he came up to me just and he wanted to talk to me um, for some reason. And I just had my eyes um, focused on my computer and I kept on typing. Um, it wasn't either looking to the right or to the left, but managed to just carry on the conversation with Jackson, just kind of like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh, I see Jackson. And, and, you know, maybe said one or two things. Actually occurred to me at some point that something amazing was kind of happening. I was multitasking, something that I can't do, normally speaking, but here I was doing it, having a conversation with my son and yet working at the same time. And then it suddenly occurred to me in the midst of that experience, what was happening there, it suddenly occurred to me, this was one of the, you know, this is a, Kind of one of those moments where you have a um a revelation that you know in some ways changes your life and changes how you think about things and i suddenly realized that i wasn't i mean this is not going to sound this is not going to sound like rocket science or anything like that but i suddenly realized that i was not really listening to my son actually what i realized is that i wasn't actually loving my son it wasn't listening didn't really occur to me it was loving i was listening i was hearing the words i could probably repeat back what he was saying but i was not loving him i was not turning to him looking to his eyes giving him my undivided attention i certainly was not demonstrating to him that he was my number one priority i was not trying to connect with him in any way i was not trying to get into his heart i was not trying to um, be the kind of per be the kind of dad that he would grow up to think my dad is so attractive. He always listens to me. He always gives me time. He always connects with me. Why? Well, it's the inner talk that's going on and on in my mind. But I want you to understand that it's not really it's it's an inner talk that's been there for a while. It's not necessarily conscious. And the inner talk is my work is what's good for me. My work is what's good for me. I've got, to, I've got to get this done, whatever it is that I'm working on. That's what's good for me. That's my focus. That's where my attention is. And as a result, it hindered me from really listening, from really listening to my son, ultimately really loving my son. 
How often have you found yourself in a conversation and you're hearing the words, but your mind is on your work or something that you're wanting to get to or something that someone said to you earlier in the day? The inner voice is what prevents us from really listening, but it's because the inner voice is listening to our hearts. That's the thing. Our inner voice is listening to our hearts and our hearts are saying, this is what's good for me. This is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to, to use Mark's word um, before the sermon, this is what's going to complete me. This is what's going to make me whole. I'm going to give you another example. Um, I'm going to play a video clip soon. So um, I hope it plays. Uh, if it doesn't, we'll just improvise. Um, but I don't know if you've, you, you might have heard of, you probably heard of the group Mercy Me, the Christian group um, Mercy Me, one of my favorite bands. They came out with a movie um, a number of years ago, well, back in 2017, the end of 2017 or the beginning of 2018, I think it was. Um, it's a true story. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I really suggest you see it. It's very, very good. Um, and briefly, it's about the lead singer of Mercy Me who grows up um, in an abusive relationship with his father. And um, basically, this kid grows up, he loves singing, he loves music, he hates his dad, he eventually starts up this band called Mercy Me. Um, he really wants to be successful, he really hopes that, you know, this singing gig will work out. And the clip they're about to see, they've just played to the largest audience that they have played to so far, and their manager has invited along a number of record producers to um, to see the band. And, you know, the lead singer has got high hopes for this working out. Um, and so the clip you're going to see demonstrates um, his listening skills. And I want you to see, I want, as, you listen, as you listen to it, as you watch it, I want you to think through the grid of Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and see if you can see uh, what's going on. So is this going to work? Uh, I don't know if it is. Okay, well, as I said, we will just improvise. It's not going to work. Uh, so what happens is it's... You know, obviously not going to be quite as good as what it would have been on the movie screen. Um, but Bart, who's the lead singer, comes out finally because he can't wait any longer to hear uh, his manager and these record producers, there's about seven of them, discussing uh, what's going uh, to discussing, um, you know, the future of this band and what they think of the band and so forth. And Bart comes out early and he can't wait and he just says, tell me what you think. And he's feeling, really, he's feeling pretty good. He's thinking that they'll all, they would have all loved him and they don't. And they say words to him like, you're not good enough, you're not going to make it. Um, and, you know, basically you need to um, go out and find something else to do. Basically, the message that he gets is, you're not good enough. Um, and he doesn't, he can't listen. It goes on for a, a minute or two, and he's got these various producers telling him, uh, giving their evaluation, and he doesn't listen. He just keeps saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. You don't know me. How dare you say that to me? 
um, and he can't hear. And the reason he can't hear is because of this inner voice going on in his head. It's been going on for a number of years that I've got to prove myself. I've got to be successful. That's what's good to me. I've got to be a great singer and so on and so forth. So how then can we deal with this inner voice? The inner voice that is constantly telling us what's good for us and the inner voice that is frequently wanting us to believe that, you know, my work is important, singing is important or whatever is important. Well, James provides us with the answer in what he says next. And the answer is in verse 21. If you've got your Bibles, you can look there. Otherwise, I'll just read it. In verse 21, he says, Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And the word that James is talking about here is the gospel. It's the gospel. That's what he means. It's the gospel. He's referring to the gospel. And if you listen to the gospel, what would you hear? Well, while I'm at my computer with Jackson trying to get my attention, what would I hear the gospel say? I would hear it say something like, Alan, your identity is in Christ, in Christ alone, not in your work. You are enough. You are free. You may be struggling right now to accept that, but you know it and you can believe it and you can take it by faith and you can turn away from your computer and turn to your son. You see, if we listen to the gospel, we'll hear that we have everything we need in Christ. This is what's going to help diminish our inner talk. It can't happen in the moment, by the way. I mean, it can happen in the moment, but it has to be something that becomes so habitual that when it comes to the moment, it's there. What if the lead singer of Mercy Me, if he had listened to the gospel at that moment, or if he had been in the habit of listening to the gospel, what would he have heard? He would have heard, Jesus died for you. That means that you are good enough. You are of value. You do have worth. He has set you free. He knows you. Your value is not in how well you can sing or what or what band you belong to, it's in what God you belong to. And you belong to a God who loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you. So this is, so listening to the gospel, listening to the gospel is the answer to turning down that inner voice which is telling us something contrary to the gospel. Now, Go back to verse 21 for a moment. Notice the attitude in which we are to hear the gospel. James says that we're to humbly accept the word. Humbly accept the word. What does humbly mean? Well, he goes on to explain in verses 23 to 25. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at it himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's what it means to look humbly 
to listen humbly to the gospel, to look into the word and go away and be impacted by it, be so impacted by it that there's a change as a result. Because here's what often happens, and perhaps it happened before as I was speaking. Perhaps this is what often happens. We say, yeah, 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 we know, we know. We know the gospel. We know that we love. We know that we're enough. We know all this, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes time, when I'm sitting at my computer and my son is wanting my attention, I'm someone who knows the gospel, I'm someone who can recite all the truths, but I'm as good as someone who's just looked in the mirror and gone away and forgotten what I've looked like. Because the gospel's not impacting me at that point. The gospel's making no difference in my life at that point. This, that's, this is what James is trying to say. So we open up the word, we look at it, we read it, we listen to it, and then we go away and immediately we forget what it's said that we are to do. Why? It's because we haven't really accepted what the gospel is saying. We haven't, we haven't really, you know, if there's a time when you get an opportunity, if you notice when you're in a situation like me, you're at the computer, or it may be that you're, you know, someone's, someone's talking to you and you can't listen because of that inner voice, stop for a moment. Stop for a moment and think. At that moment, the decision is, Am I going to believe the gospel or am I going to believe the lie that whatever this is that I'm focusing on will make me happy and complete? So quickly, no, we're coming to the end, but quickly, a couple of examples in terms of what we spoke about last week. Here are some examples from the word from last week's sermon. We talked about two types. We talked about be being a friend. Uh, being a born for adversity type friend. Proverbs seventeen seventeen, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Do you know a friend who's going through adversity? Well, maybe just imagine a scenario with a friend who's going through adversity. They talk to you about it. But your inner voice won't shut up about the opportunities that you're going to miss if you devote yourself or fully give yourself whatever that's going to require to this friend to help them through this particular adversity. I'm not saying you put your whole life on, ho on hold. I hope you get the gist of what I'm saying here. But, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a tension going on here. You're, there's a friend who's going through adversity, and yet you're in a voice is talking to you about these opportunities that you've got here or the work that you've got or whatever it is that you've identified in your life that is good for you, that this is, I've got to have this because this is, this is you know, if, if I don't have this, this is, I'm a nobody kind of thing. But if you stop to listen to the gospel, what would you hear? You would hear you won't find your salvation in these things. These things won't save you. These things won't satisfy you. These things won't provide for you what you're looking for. The other, the other um, thing I talked about last week was being an authentic friend. Let's look at Proverbs 17.9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Perhaps a friend has hurt you. Perhaps you feel resentment. You, can't, you feel like you can't forgive them. 
and you're tempted to talk to others about them because that helps lift you. It helps boost you. You, you, you kind of bring by talking to others, by gossiping, what we do is we tend to bring the other down and we elevate ourselves. Um, and, and you're in a voice and, and maybe this friend comes to you and they, and they try to talk to you. They, they, they try to get your ear. They try to connect with you, but your inner voice keeps telling you that they've hurt you and you can't see past that. Um, because there's something in the way, the, the, in relation to what we've talked about in Genesis chapter three, they, they, they've, they've hurt you so much that the good thing in your life is now kind of gone as a result, or it's crumbling as a result, or it's threatened as a result. And you can't hear because you feel so hurt. But if you stop to listen to the gospel, what would you hear? You'd hear that you're no better than them. You'd hear that you've hurt people too. You'd hear that Christ has covered your offenses with his blood and that he's forgiven you. You know, I'm going to finish with uh, talking about my son Jackson. I have permission to do this. Um, I've actually written about it. He and I have co-written a couple of articles together in a magazine um, over here, Christian Men's Magazine. And um, back in 2019, uh, we found out that Jackson had been, um, we knew he'd been in the wrong crowd, but we found out that he'd been smoking marijuana for a long time and been doing other things and, you know, um, just basically gone off the rails, you could say. And when we found out, our first reaction was to um, become policemen. Um, we did not listen. Um, uh, our first reaction was basically to get angry uh, and was to lay down the law. Um, and we realized pretty smartly, really, um, it, within 24 hours, that that uh, wasn't going to be the way to go. And the reason for our inability to listen, at least speaking from my point of view, the reason for my inability to listen at that point really had more to do with me than it did to have with Jackson. It had to do with the fact that things like, Jackson, if, you, if, if you're not going to live for the Lord, then then that's going to be absolutely horrible. That's going to be absolutely terrible. Um, and for some reason, that affected me. That affected me. That made me, that made me angry. That made me sad. That, 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 that had all sorts of effects on me. And the thing I came to realize is that that said something about me, something that I needed to address within myself, that somehow my identity was tied to my son. Somehow my identity was tied to my son following the Lord. If he wasn't following the Lord, then, then somehow my identity was being affected. It was actually one of the greatest things that actually happened uh, to us, I think, in our lives. So I used to pray for my boys when I was younger. I used to pray that they'd become Christians, become Christians before they were a teenager. Um, and I realized that that prayer, I realized years ago that I was praying that more for myself than I was for them. 
I mean, you know, as a pastor, a Bible college lecturer, what would people think if my son, if, if they weren't Christians and so forth? All of this stuff was feeding into my inner talk, and all of this stuff was preventing me from listening. I was driving. I picked Jackson up for a party one night. It was after midnight. He was high as a kite. And when he's like that, he wasn't, he was just happy. He wasn't depressed like he usually was. And he was, you know, he's just, it's kind of funny. It's hard to describe. And he was just, in a way, being really stupid and silly. But he was just loving life at that point. But he was just high and drunk and so forth. And he was sitting me next, sitting in the passenger side of the car. And I was driving home and I was listening to him and every now and then looking at him. And all of a sudden, it just hit me. I saw, I was able to see past all of that, and I saw into his heart. I could see the pain. I could see my boy. I could see, and it was almost like his whole life flashed before me, right from when he was a baby. And I, I, and I somehow got a glimpse into the pain and everything that was going on in him to produce the lifestyle that he was living. And I didn't feel anger. I just felt compassion. I felt deep love for him. My heart ached for him. And from that point on, I was able to listen to him. I mean, just lie on his bed, hug him, cuddle him, listen to him, talk to him, pray with him, but just listen to him and connect with him. And I realized that that was something far more valuable that I was able to do, to connect with my son, to listen to my son, to love my son and him to connect with me rather than him having to live up to my standards. But there was something else I realized as I was driving along in the car, that that's the way that God looks at us. That's the way that God looks at us. We often think that he looks at the surface, that he sees the sin, that he sees what we're doing, that he must be so disappointed in us. But God is such a good listener that he's able to get right down into our hearts and listen to our hearts at the deepest level. He can, he can hear the pain. He can hear the pain. He can hear the longing for completeness. He can hear the longing that we have to be happy. He can hear the longing that we have for, you know, and he he understands why it is that we go after these idols. He can hear it and he looks with compassion and with love. I um I hope this speaks to you in some way. Um it's a very simple point at the end of the day. It's about listening. Um but being a listener isn't simply about just hearing words, about being able to repeat back to what someone's saying. It's really about um, it's about being able to hear someone at the deepest level of their hearts, to listen with compassion and love. But to do that, we need to turn off that inner voice. And to do that is to really hear the gospel, not just like in a blah, 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 or I know all this kind of way, but really hear it, to start believing it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your compassion and love toward us. We thank you for the way that you listen to us, for the way that you are so patient with us. Father, thank you for my friends um, across uh, across the ocean um, who I hope to see uh, before too long. And I pray that you would bless them abundantly, that you would love them and encourage them and help them in their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing, intergenerational, and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.